to the Wagner Ministries International Podcast. As you listen to this message, our prayer is that you would be motivated and empowered to follow Christ and lead others to Him. Enjoy. God bless you, my friends. This is Evangelist Kevin Wagner, founder of Wagner Ministries International, welcoming you to our podcast today. On our last podcast, the Lord spoke to us through the example of Simon the Sorcerer, a man in Samaria won to Christ by Philip's powerful preaching and miracle working. Here was a man who forsook the limited power of the occult, which he dabbled in, and chose instead to commit his life to the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit. So here is one of the famous men God used Philip to convert. And today, we say goodbye to chapter 8, goodbye to Philip, but before we do, we will meet another very important, strategically important man in God's grand scheme of things. Let's read verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appears at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now this story is rich in spiritual blessings today, and I hope, I have prayed, that your hearts would be ready and prepared to receive a full measure of them this morning. That early first century morning, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, calling him away from the successful ministry he was involved in north of Jerusalem, in Samaria, and he told Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now this sounds like a simple request, but it must have been very difficult for Philip to obey. If he was anything like most of us, you see, Philip was at that time in the middle of an extremely fruitful ministry campaign in Samaria. In fact, revival had broken out under his preaching and miracle working. God was using him mightily to heal bodies, to save souls, to bring joy to a previously depressed place. Whole towns were meeting God through him. Crowds of people followed him, hungry after more of Jesus, a deeper and more powerful touch of the Holy Spirit. 
Even famous renowned men were counted among his converts, the trophies of grace. But the Lord woke him up that morning and told him to leave all that. You can imagine Philip asking, Why, Lord, when things are going so well? But he left. It mustn't have been easy, but he left. He obeyed. And isn't that the way we are? It's easier to leave a place, isn't it, when things are going badly, when we're frustrated and feeling ineffective. But often, God calls us away to a different ministry when things are going well. And that is tough. But God was teaching, the Phil teaching Philip the joy of obedience, which, it is true, is an even deeper and more profound joy than the joy of being used powerfully by God. If any of us truly want to hear God's ultimate word of commendation, the greatest compliment any human ever can hear, the simple yet powerful words, well done, good and faithful servant, spoken by the King of Kings, the man whom, who himself knew no sin, the God who spoke you into being. If any one of us truly wants to hear those words directed towards us, we need to learn that the joy of obedience listening to God whenever and in whatever He chooses to have in store for us to do, we have to learn that this joy is the deepest and most satisfying joy of all. Simply being the man, the woman, the teen, the child that Jesus wants you to be right here and now is paramount. And Philip is a testimony and an example today of the fantastic blessings that simple obedience can bring to a person's life. I urge you to learn from Philip's example today. So Philip woke up, got on his handles, threw on his tunic, and headed out for Gaza, just like the Lord told him to do. He didn't know where, he didn't know why. He just went because he knew God wanted him to go. He traveled down to Gaza, was translated to Azotus, left for Lydda, and finally settled in Caesarea, making his home there. Acts 8 verse 27 says, So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And so Philip met God's reason for bringing him there. Here was a man, an important man, a very important man. In fact, the Bible says he was an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Philip just bumped into Ethiopia's finance minister. <laughs> now, this man was a Jewish convert. There had been converts to Judaism for several centuries in Ethiopia, you know. And this man was on a, privileged, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the holy city, in order to worship in the temple of the Lord. So here was an important man. Here was a Jewish convert. And here was a black man. Why do I focus on the color of this man's skin today? To make the strong biblical point that Jesus Christ doesn't focus on the color of anyone's skin, the country of their origin, or the culture they've been brought up in. When Philip went to Samaria, he bridged a cultural and religious gap. And when he preached Jesus to this Ethiopian official, he bridged a wide racial gap. People, there is an aggressive and widespread movement out there today, and you are being bombarded with this campaign directly or indirectly many times every week. 
This movement makes the claim that Christianity is the white man's religion, the product of Western civilization and culture, and that it has no right to infringe itself on other cultures, nations, religions, and races. I recall that it is this movement and the campaigns within this movement that in the 1990s influenced mainline churches in my home country of Canada to officially apologize to native Canadians, not only for unnecessary cultural imperialism, a legitimate grievance, but also for their missionaries simply bringing Jesus to our native people. And that movement is certainly alive and well today. You heard it when a mere few weeks ago, the current Pope, Pope Francis, compared Jesus' great commission with the Quran's teaching about jihad. I recall these events, both older and recent, breaking my heart. Because Christianity never has been and never will be a white man's religion. And Christianity never has been and never will be a product of Western civilization and culture. I ask you today, was Jesus a white man? No. Was Christianity born in Western culture? No. Have Christians ever been confined to the Western world? No. And is the Holy Spirit currently, as I am speaking, moving most powerfully and fruitfully in the privileged white confines of Western civilization? No. People, the world may be deceived, but don't let yourself be deceived, because you are not of this world. Today, the Bible teaches us, using Philip and the Ethiopian official as testimonies, that God knows no racial, cultural, and religious boundaries. The Bible teaches that every man or woman, regardless of race, country, or creed, has a Christless gap in his or her life that only Jesus can fill, and that it is you and I who have the responsibility and privilege of bringing Jesus Christ to our world, regardless of the racial, cultural, or religious prejudice that may stand in our way. The world currently is making claims about things that supposedly all human beings have in common, in an attempt to unify us globally. But in reality, these are not really things we all have in common at all. Sadly, not all human beings do have a desire to see the world live peacefully. Not everyone on the planet does share a concern for the environmental well-being of our world. It may be hard to believe, but not all human beings even have a desire to see our world free of hunger, disease, and poverty. The deepest most profound and perhaps only real common bond that every human being on earth shares, from the pampered millionaire in Qatar to the tribesmen in the remotest part of Sudan, is a common sinfulness, a common inherited separation from God as a result of that sin, and a corresponding crucial extreme need for Jesus in their lives as the means of bridging the gap between them and God. And this is not just our truth, this is the truth. It is not just the white man's message, it is God's message. And this is not just the product of a we privileged Western culture. 
it is in fact the revelation of Almighty God, revealing a truth from heaven that left on our own, we would have no way of knowing ourselves. And we have been given the responsibility to take Jesus to this generation of seven billion souls today. How are we doing? Will we keep apologizing or will we begin obeying? Philip witnessed that day to a man who was ripe, a man whose heart the Holy Spirit had prepared to receive Jesus. Jesus said we don't have to wait for the harvest, for souls to be eager, open, and ready to receive Christ. That there are people right now, they, are, they just need someone to bring Jesus to them. Of course, not everyone is ripe for harvest. And if you're discouraged because you have tried to take those steps of obedience and share Jesus with people, and you've been shut down or turned off by a closed mind and a hard heart, take heart today. Ask God to lead you to a ripe and ready heart because there are so many people out there. There are so many needs out there. Our frustration in witnessing often comes from focusing on the wrong individual, the heart that is simply not yet ready. But there are many, so many people out there who are seeking answers, seeking truth. Millions are longing for truth and meaning in their lives. We have a society rapidly realizing that something is wrong, and so they're grasping at straws, eager to lap up anything, everything that that day's celebrity is willing to tell them. And my heart breaks for those people because they're looking for truth in all the wrong places, and they aren't finding it because the church is conspicuously silent, trying so desperately to safeguard the privacy of others that everyone else is so ready to invade. We have an opportunity today, my friends, perhaps more vivid than ever before in the history of humanity. And some Christians are obediently bringing Jesus into the needy lives of people whose lives are literally crumbling around them. We don't have to look too hard to find hurting people. They are all around us. There is a ripe generation of young men, women, and children who have experienced perhaps more devastation and confusion in their early lives than any generation in the last two centuries in our Western world. The needs in this emerging generation at our very doorstep are tremendous, and yet even more tremendous is the potential for Jesus Christ to come in and meet those needs, change these lives, and give them a future far brighter than the desolate past from which they've come. And here is where this emergent generation has come from. Here is a sample of the desolation of their past, which has scarred their present and threatens to paralyze their future. Every day in the U.S. alone, 2,500 kids experience either a divorce or a separation. 90 kids are taken from their parents' custody or placed in foster homes. 1,000 unwed teenage girls become mothers. 13 15 to 24 year olds successfully commit suicide while 16 are murdered 500 teens begin using illegal drugs 1000 begin experimenting with alcohol 36 teens are assaulted over 60 are robbed and 80 are raped 2200 teens drop out of school and 100,000 high school students carry guns with them to their schools this is what happens in America alone on any given day of the year. Jesus says that he has come to seek and save the lost and to call sinners to repentance. 
The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly to the full. Satan has indeed been having a field day with this generation, but Jesus wants to show them a way out, and he wants to use you to do it. In fact, he has to use someone to do it, and if he finds that you're unwilling, then he'll go on to someone else who is willing, because this generation's time bomb is ticking, and then you'll have missed out on the joy of obedience. Philip found the heart of that Ethiopian to be ripe, and oh my, is this generation's heart ripe for Christ. For nothing ripens a heart, human heart faster than the burning heat of needs that remain unmet. I close today with one last spiritual blessing that the Lord wants to bring into your life today. When you're interested in something, when you're excited about something, when there's something in your life that is so good, whether it be marketing an exciting product, a new weight loss program, or whatever, when something is so good that you want to see it spread, what are the two ways that you can help spread it? By living it and talking about it. You can spread the enthusiasm by showing through your actions the way that this has positively changed your life. And you can spread the excitement by telling others why you're so much happier and fulfilled than you were before. And so it is with Jesus. We can spread Christianity by living it and talking about it. Many Christians today, perhaps you are one of them, focus their attention on lifestyle evangelism, living Christ-like lives that will hopefully influence people for Christ. This is absolutely necessary, for without it, we would lose the respect of the world and strategic relationships with the people we seek to reach. And yet, this same lifestyle evangelism, while completely necessary, is also completely inadequate. If we don't talk about Jesus, tell others the reason why we are the way we are, if we don't spell out God's plan of salvation and how they too can begin a new relationship with Christ, these people we care so much about will leave us, happy to have met someone so kind and nice, but still certainly and often unknowingly separated from God and without hope for eternity. Paul says in Romans 10, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not, whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Look at it this way. Philip could have walked up to the Ethiopian official, complimented him on his fine chariot, offered his horses a drink of water and a nearby, at a nearby well, and wished him well on his journey. Philip could have smiled, been kind, courteous, and generous. But if that was all he did that first century day, the Ethiopian official would have still gone merrily on his way to Jerusalem with a hole in his life still waiting to be filled with Jesus. But Philip didn't just do things. What did the Bible say? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You see, friends, if we want Christianity to spread, we need to both live Jesus and talk Jesus. We need them both. One without the other isn't enough. In the last part of the 19th century on the streets of Chicago, an older man approached a younger man who was a stranger to him 
and said to him, Are you a Christian? The younger man said, It is none of your business. The older man said, Yes, it is. Said the younger, Then you must be Dwight L. Moody. He was. Moody had the capacity not only to live the Christian life, but to talk about it, and to talk about it with anybody and everybody everywhere he went. And by talking, he spread it. And while we may not all be Dwight L. Moody's, we all have our part to play, and for most of us, I dare say, better than we are already doing, in talking about Jesus more freely and openly to those we care about, some whom we see every day. A young Presbyterian minister was in charge of a large church in a great industrial city. The most active and generous person of the church was a woman. She was married to one of the most prominent and wealthy men of the community. He never came to church. He did nothing for it, and he gave nothing to it. And as the years went on, that man was on the conscience of the young minister. He said to himself, I have got to do something about that man. So after long deliberation, he finally made an appointment with him. He was an older man, austere, sitting behind a great desk in his office. The young man sat in front of him and proceeded with his story. In very simple terms, he set before him the Christian proposition, and he said, I think you ought to do something about this one way or the other. And when he finished, there was dead silence. The man never spoke. He never moved. So the young man gathered himself together and went over his story again, amplifying it a little. When he finished, still there was silence. At that point, he wished he had never undertaken that particular mission. But he drew himself up once again and rehearsed his story. And when he had finished, there was not a sound. And finally, while he wished for a way out of the room, the man reached for a pad and wrote something on it. He passed it to the young man, and this was what he had written. I am so deeply moved that I cannot speak. It was the first time that an adult, in a frank, straightforward way, had ever set before him the Christian gospel, and he became a member of the church and one of the great Christian leaders in that city. Ultimately, none of us know how to talk how our talk about Jesus will affect others. And that's not really important anyway. What is important is that Jesus has told us, like Philip, to both walk the Christian life and talk the Christian truth to each man and woman. And when you do that, you will experience the deepest joy this life has to offer, the joy that Philip had, the joy of obedience, the joy of simply knowing you have done what the Lord has created you to do. May the Lord Jesus bless you as you step out for him in the days to come. As always, my friends, I look so forward to our next podcast, where we will move further into the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit uses his word to help us walk daily in the power of God. Have a blessed day in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by today's message. For more information regarding Wagner Ministries International, go to wagnerministries.org. And if you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at wagnerministries.org. God bless.